and welcome to Me Teach You. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And uh, today we're going to start with me, and I'm going to teach you about the Antwerp Diamond Heist. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about heists. Yeah. So Sarah is a big fan of of crime. Uh-huh. So I love crime. I love when people get stolen from and do stealing. Yeah. So I I know that she knows pretty much every like missing person or murder case she knows about. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to tell you a story you've already heard. Of course. So I'm telling you a heist story. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So we are going to go to the city of Antwerp in Belgium in the year 2003. Okay. So there is a place in Antwerp known as the Antwerp Diamond District. Oh, wow. Uh, It's about a three square block area. So not very large at all. 80% of the world's rough diamonds pass through this three square block area. Wow. That's crazy. So it is one of the, the places with the highest concentrations of wealth on the planet. Yeah. Billions of dollars of uh, transactions happen every single year in this tiny, tiny little spot in Antwerp. So I don't know anything about diamonds. Like, do you, when you say rough diamonds, do you mean they get polished here? Like, what happens like, when they come like, here? Yeah, like pre-processed diamonds. Do they process them in that block? Or three blocks? Uh, I think this is just where they go to get distributed and moved ah, okay. about. Okay, I see. It's like, diamond it's like the traders. holding capital. It's like the gateway of diamonds to like Europe, basically. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Um, it is such a um, sort of uh, massively concentrated diamond area that there is a dedicated police force known as the Diamond Squad. Oh, that's pretty cool. That patrols... I really uh, like that. The Diamond District. Can you imagine? That'd be a dope-ass job. I mean, do they have... I wonder what their outfits look like. Do they have, like, Diamond Squad on their backs? I really hope so. They have jumpsuits? Ugh. So, in the center of the Diamond District, there is, like, sort of, like, one large building, and underneath that is one of the world's most secure vaults. Mm-hmm. A man named uh, Leonardo Noter Botalo, an Italian man, successfully robbed this vault. And uh, authorities at the end of the the heist claim that over a hundred million dollars worth of uh, diamonds were stolen from this That's vault. That's insane. So I'm going to start off by talking about how this is possible. Like, yeah. how could a, one of the most secure places on earth get robbed? Yeah. The only thing I think of is like you know inside job. Yes. The movie. And uh, so there there definitely was some inside jobs. Yeah. So. This was not just a, a, a like a scatterbrained idea, like years of planning went into this. Wow. You know, I guess if you do years of planning and you break it down, let's say you take three years to make this plan and then you steal $100 million, that's still really good per year. Yeah. Even if you have to split it with somebody. Yeah. So I said this vault is one of the most secure places on earth, but what does that mean? What makes this vault so secure? Yeah. So let's talk about the layers of security that the <laughs> vault has. Okay. So you start by entering through the, the Diamond District's um, sort of central place. You go through a security check. Uh, and then you take an elevator that goes down two floors uh, to a small antechamber. <gasps> What's an antechamber? That's like a small room that uh, leads to the, the oh, next area, basically. Okay, that sounds really cool. Uh, so when you're in the antechamber, the first thing you're going to probably see is... Uh, the giant vault door in front of you. Shit. Uh, alongside a security camera. Uh, so you go to this uh, vault sto- uh, vault door that is uh, made of three tons of steel. 
Wow. And it has a large combo wheel on it. Uh, it's got four uh, entry point, like you enter four numbers into it. Uh, each number that you enter is between zero to 99. Holy shit. So the combination is uh, basically eight digits long. Is it like electronic? It's a wheel that you spin. It's a wheel. Okay. Yeah. So there's four separate wheels, Holy each for a number zero to 99. Crazy. You have to enter the right number into each of them. It reminds me of like when you do D&D and they have like all the dice. Like yeah. you have, it's a D100. Every single one is a D100. Yeah. That's a lot of numbers. So if you decided, okay, well, I don't want to open the door the normal way. I want to drill through it. Yeah. Well, there's you're going to run into problems because this uh, door has been specifically designed to withstand uh, industrial grade drills that are drilling into it for over 12 straight hours. Wow. And then by that time... Well, the second you start to drill into yeah. it, the uh, internal seismic alarm would immediately set off. Because it, it detects like the shaking? It detects Ooh. the shaking of a drill. Oh my God. So assuming you're not going to go through the drilling yeah. route, you do have other things to contend with. Obviously, the, the number lock that I just described, but also there are plates, um, metallic plates that are bolted onto the side of the doors that create mm. a magnetic field. Oh, wow. You have to enter another number into a keypad to... Uh, deactivated otherwise as soon as the door gets detached it will break the magnetic field and immediately trigger an alarm holy shit you know people are motivated to some amazing things when money is on the line yeah aren't they very creative yeah so let's say you've got the four number combination you've put the keypad in and deactivated the magnetic fields well uh then you finally got one giant lock on the door <laughs> that is needs to be opened by a one foot long key that oh is God. virtually uh, unreproducible. So it's like key to the city size. Yeah. So once you've opened that, uh, you are greeted by a locked steel gate. They say dog. No. <laughs> Cerberus. Yeah. A locked steel gate that has a whole separate set of keys yeah. or an electronic buzzer through oh, a Jesus. security guard who's upstairs watching through the cameras. They make sure that you're okay and then they'll buzz you through that gate. Mm. Uh, once you enter the vaults, uh, you're not totally out of the woods yet because there are cameras everywhere. Uh, there is um, a series of safe deposit boxes that all the valuables are kept in. Each of them are themselves made out of steel and copper. Like shit, individually locked, I'm assuming. Yes. And there are motion sensors, light sensors, and heat sensors in the vaults. Holy crap. And to top all of this off during the day, if you decided you just wanted to go in guns blazing, you better be heavily armed because the guards that patrol this place carry fully automatic weapons. So it's one elevator down two floors and there's no other escape. There's no fire exit. Yeah. How is that allowed? Again, this is a place that billions of dollars yeah, of value trade through. It's incredibly specialized. Through. Yes, exactly. Someone could go down there and die, though. Sure. Yeah. It's not uh, a safe place, but it is very secure. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But a group of men robbed it in 2003. A group of men. How many people? Well, uh, on the day, there were three people that broke into the vaults okay. and two people waiting as the, the getaway drivers. It's a pretty good little payday. So $100 million split through all of them? Yes. Or do you think the getaway drivers get less? Nope, because Mr. Leonardo Notaro Batalo is the uh, the mastermind and he was the getaway driver. Oh, shit. Okay, good for him. So your next question is probably going to be, how the fuck did they rob this vault that I just spent yeah. a much great deal of time uh, uh, describing? The thing I'm can't stop thinking about is a one foot key. That's absurd. Yeah. Like you and I bought like a really, really basic like lock picking set for fun because all the cool kids are doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's even hard enough when there's only like a couple of cylinders, like when normal locks only have what, like five or six or something. Yeah. And I still struggle with it. So I can only imagine this key has like, so it's like a goddamn mountain range. So uh, Leonardo, he's our, our main guy. He, he wasn't just some guy off the street. He had been a thief since the age of eight. Eight? And, yep. 
What happened to him? Uh, I guess he just grew up um, and realized he had a knack for stealing. And I wonder just if he had like a parent or like some sort of inspiration. Like what what causes you to steal when you're eight? I don't know. But he ended up founding a uh, syndicate of uh, international jewel thieves <laughs> that he called the School of Turin. That's what they called themselves. Oh, it's better than the School of Turds. <laughs> <laughs> Turin being a city in Italy that they were from. Oh, okay. I like that. Um, I mean, I don't know if I like him yet. He is a thief. Yes. But then again, these diamonds are like not good. Okay. So the guy is here, you know, breaking into this vault. Yes. How, how does he scope it out? Well, he was actually a tenant in the diamond district. Oh, shit. See, Leonardo had been renting a small office there since 2000 and everybody in the diamond district knew him because oh, he was God. a jewel trader, according to him. No one had any idea that the man that they every day were, you know, seeing and saying hello to shit. was a jewel thief holy crap so he had his uh, so, double identity so at least three years yes was it 2003 when this happened yes wow and i'm sure he planned before yeah oh my god that's so interesting so we got he saw people come and go and he was able to like observe mm -hmm. yep. yeah so he this is his story it was that he was hired by a jewel dealer to do this job like he didn't come up with it on his own he says that there's someone came to him and said we want you to do this do you think it's true well i don't know and i'll get into the two different theories at the end but it's possible um so he said that he was hired by somebody to do this either that or he masterminded it himself mm -hmm. but he started the operation by walking into the place as he usually did um but with a pen in his pocket that mm -hmm. had a camera in it and he used that to take a lot of photographs Holy shit he gained a ton of access to the building because he was in there all the time he had an office there eventually they were able to hack into the video surveillance systems mm -hmm. which is important because um well we'll get to that in a little bit they're able to see what people are doing to get into the room yes that? okay exactly so once the operation began began in earnest uh leonardo went to a location that was um, provided by his, uh, according to him, his, the person who was bankrolling him. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was an, underneath an abandoned warehouse in a chamber was a full-sized, complete, one-to-one -one recreation of the vault. And does he know who his benefactor was? I'm starting to think that his benefactor is real. It seems so because that is very expensive yeah. to rebuild the entire vault, recreate it. Or maybe he has some sort of access to like who the original person was that built it. Like that was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to have that kind of knowledge is insane. And at this time where he got access to the replica vault is when he put his team together. Yeah. So oh his team. Oh my God, his squad. His squad is made up of four people. Yeah. So we've got uh, Pietro uh, Tavano, okay. uh, a.k.a. Speedy. <gasps> uh, Speedy was his uh, best friend since childhood. Aww. And uh, the other guys on the team ended up not liking Speedy as much and having weird feelings about him. But, he, you know, he Leonardo Speedy? vouched for him because he was a bit jittery. He was a bit fast. Was he on stuff? No, he was, he was just kind of a anxious person yeah. um, and kind of um, quick by nature. And so people just kind of called him speedy. That's, yeah, you know what? This actually, if this is like a Hollywood script, it makes sense. Like he has loyalty to this guy and they're like, he doesn't even have like, you know, he's not always right. He has like, you know, foolhardy ideas. And he's like, he's my oldest friend. Yeah. And I won't let him go. Yes. Uh, the other three people uh, were recruited for their uh, expertise in the respective uh, areas. Mm, cool. So you've got uh, the first person uh, went known by the name as the genius. Oh my God. He was an expert in all things alarms. So he was able to basically reverse engineer the entire alarm system, how it all worked, mapped the architecture, 
um, and was able to figure out, okay, what's going to activate these alarms? How can we bypass them? Uh, the next person was the monster. Oh my God. This guy was a bit of a jack of all trades. He was a big, tough dude, a, a, a proficient lock picker, also someone who was uh, very capable of um, dealing with, you know, dogs, not dogs, Attack dogs. If you run into like, you know, um, a lot of physical barriers, he has a lot of means for getting past them. Like physical, just like pure brute strength? Yeah, brute strength, but also like knowing which kind of wire cutters to use, oh. which kind of drills to use, all that kind of stuff. Um, he was also good at electronics. Again, he was a bit of a, a jack of all trades. He was, he was good like, at everything. He was like the Swiss army knife of men. Yeah. And so he was the monster. Why do they call him the monster? What a name. And then there was the last member of the group. So this this one foot long key. I thought you say one foot long man. The one that's <laughs> captured your imagination. Yeah, is one of the most complicated locks ever devised. Is that the last member of the team? The and key so itself? there is one person. There are very few people on this planet who are good enough at like locksmith, or like break, like safe cracking and lock picking to yeah. deal with something like that. But this man, known only as the King of Keys, oh my God, is the person they recruited to deal I with this love these. problem. You know what? I I started out not very like I didn't. You know, these are like thieves, right? Yeah. It's hard to really cheer for them, but mm. their nicknames are so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like really badass. Yeah. So for eighteen months, as their full time job, they practiced the heist in their replica vaults. Yeah. Wow. This is this a movie? It was optioned as yeah. a movie, but they didn't ac- actually end up making it. God damn it! They should. I know. Truly. All right. So we're going to fast forward now to the day before the heist. Okay. As uh, he has many times before, Leonardo enters into the vault to go to his own lockbox that he rents there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is carrying today in his pocket, not a pen, but a can of women's hairspray. <gasps> so he has spent the last several weeks practicing a single movement with his hands. Oh, my God. He's like a magician. Yeah. Pretty uh-huh. much like a magician. So he walks in. He knows exactly where the heat sensor is. And in a fluid motion in less than a second that later um, the, the security guard watching and the cameras didn't notice. But later when they went back and reviewed, they noticed yeah. in a very fluid motion, he sprayed um, the women's hairspray on the heat slash motion sensor. So what that did is because the sensor relies on detecting both heat and motion, mm-hmm. uh, if you deactivate the heat sensing part of things, then it won't function properly. So what the the women's hairspray does is drastically reduce its ability to detect heat. It's really cool, you know, like him, his cover and his actual job being like a jewel trader because he kind of did that shit, right? Like he had a jewel syndicate essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, ugh, I'm sure nobody ever questioned him going down there so no, much. No, he went all the time. He the guards like knew they were, he was on a first name basis yeah. with everyone there. Oh my God, that's so smart. All right. So the night of the heist. Okay. Everyone in the Diamond District is not there tonight because it is the night of the big Venus Williams match. The Diamond District has hosted a huge tennis tournament. Yeah. And everybody who's everybody is uh, uh, out tonight to go watch Venus Williams Holy play. shit. But this is where the gang moves in. Yeah. So the genius knew the location of every one of the cameras, including the... Um, the area with the biggest blind spot, a balcony right above the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did have a uh, heat motion detector, but using uh, a specialized piece of equipment that he devised, uh, he was able to deactivate that external, like building external sensor and uh, open the window to get them all inside. Wow. Step one. Yep. So step one, they get in. So once they're in this area, it's, there's not a, as much security. So they're mm-hmm. able to climb down into the antechamber. 
So the genius had made a custom aluminum slab uh, slash electronic device mm -hmm. that was uh, built to um, basically mimic the electron, the magnetic fields uh, oh generator. Gosh. So it attaches onto the side of it. So when you detach the the metal parts from the magnetic field on the door, it will keep the magnetic field active and not thinks, trip the yeah. sensor once you detach it from the door. Do you think like at this point? all this work went into it. Do you think they just deserve the diamonds? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. So okay. he was, um, they had, like I said, they had gained access to the security camera feeds beforehand. And by watching maybe up to hundreds of hours of video yeah. footage, we're able to determine the, the four two digit, code <gasps> combinations holy crap to put into the thing and i bet the camera like wasn't like this is 2003 it wasn't like super hd yes so holy they had a, a, a gap of a few seconds to flip some lights on put the numbers in and then turn lights off because there's a light sensor yeah um so they put the four numbers in and then uh the king of keys uh slipped the key in opened up the vault and the vault door opened oh my god the king of keys was also a master lock picker so he was very easily able to lock pick the uh inner metal gate yeah to the and, room. and a lot of his success had to do with being able having a replica right like to actually recreate that key in real life would probably be impossible now the monster is a pretty big guy and uh he ripped the door right off its hinges you know it's a stressful situation so <laughs> what does that mean so that the women's hairspray on the heat sensor it, it like lowered its tolerance for temperature, but that's oh. not going to last for very long. Yeah. So he's a sweaty dude. He's a big say. sweaty dude. Yeah. So he has uh, only seconds to play here in a room that is pitch black. And if they turn on any lights, the alarms will trip. Oh my God. So he basically takes the steps that he has orchestrated for months. He walks 11 steps forward, reaches up pitch black to this, in the pitch black, reaches up to the ceiling and rewires the alarm system. Oh my God. Why couldn't he use like night vision? Without being able to see anything. Why not night vision goggles? Because night vision goggles might give off heat. Oh shit. Yeah. Or make That's some noise. incredible. Yeah. And it worked. That so step he worked. he rewired the uh, alarms and uh, that basically allowed them to work. I like how he's a hot, sweaty man. But because they were being very cautious, the, the rest of the operation they did was all taking place in the complete pitch black. Yeah. None of them had any light. So they did this all from basically muscle memory. So the King of Keys uh, used a custom-made drill by the genius uh, <laughs> that was uh, made to bust open the lockboxes specifically in this room. And from here, they basically just started busting into all these lockboxes that were filled with these like satchels and yeah. duffel bags and carrying out dozens and dozens of these duffel bags. And they're all full of diamonds. All full of diamonds. So um, they spent like hours doing this. Can you imagine how stressful it'd be to be in that room in the pitch black, just emptying all those vaults, like waiting for someone to come? Yeah. Like I'd probably like, I'm surprised none of them just like shit themselves. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. All right. So <laughs> here's what happens next. Um, they go back to uh, Leonardo's uh, apartment that he has nearby. Was he not the getaway driver? So he drove them. To he there. drove them to his apartment. They hey guys, want to come up for a pizza? No, he claims that they opened up, and the vast majority of the duffel bags were empty. Why? And they their immediate thought was, "Well, shit, we've been set up." Yeah. So they do still get some diamonds. They he claims they got about twenty million dollars worth. Wonder why he said they were empty. So at this point, they all go their separate ways. Leonardo and his uh, obviously his best friend Speedy are driving away and Speedy starts to have a panic attack. Oh my God. See, this is where I'm at. Yeah. I so, relate to this Speedy fella. So he's he's a guy who's got a bit of an anxiety problem. Yeah. And they just did a really huge job. Was Speedy the other um, getaway driver? Yeah. So he, they're basically sitting in the car for like six hours. No wonder he's freaking yeah, out. Yeah, and they, they planned it all together. Yeah. So he um, has a panic attack. They stop 
on a property and mm-hmm. Speedy starts freaking out, throwing things everywhere. Yeah. Uh, he's like, we got to get, uh, we're, we're filled with evidence. We got to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, Leonardo calms him down. They gather everything up that he was throwing around like yeah. a maniac. They get back in the car and he's like, okay, we're, we're we made it. We're, we're scot-free yeah. and they drive away. But what they don't realize oh is that the God. place that they stopped for Speedy to have his panic attack was the property of a man named Augustus Van Camp. Oh, no. Who's a notorious um, um, hermit who called the police probably two to three times a day every time someone came on his property, is- usually kids to drink. <laughs> yeah. And he would give like detailed explanations of what the kids did. And the police just all they listened to him, but they just dismissed yeah. him. But this time he called the police up once again because there were hooligans on his property. He was listing all these weird things they left, a half-eaten sandwich, some bunch of videotape. And an envelope with the words Antwerp Diamond District on it. God damn it. This caught the attention of the Diamond Squad. They came there and they started gathering the evidence. Holy shit. And it was so dark, right? They're probably just like, look, this doesn't matter. Yeah. So Leonardo is like, okay, I've gotten away with this. So he flies back home to the Swiss Alps where he lives. Okay. Fancy, Uh, fancy man. Yep. While he's there, he sees his wife and family. He hasn't seen him a lot. He's been away on business a lot in the last few <laughs> years. Um, there's a few things he has to do back in Antwerp, though. He His work in Belgium isn't done. Mm-hmm. So his plans are this. One, he needs to go back and um, <laughs> drop his uh, rental car back off. Oh, my God. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't go back. I know. Uh, two, he wanted to make an appearance at the... Um, the diamond district because he didn't want to be the only regular that just didn't show up right after the heist. So in a way to cast suspicion off oh, himself. Leonardo, you fool. So he shows back up at the diamond district. He's chatting up the manager. He walks Is everyone in like freaking out. I wonder. And like, at this point they've already figured out it was him. Oh my God. Leonardo. <laughs> One of the, uh, the items that was discarded at uh, Augustus Van Camp's yeah. place was a receipt for surveillance equipment with the name Leonardo Notarbotalo on it. God damn it. So uh, they arrest him right there in Antwerp. Say, put him up. And uh, they start digging through his, um, you know, all the stuff that he's got on him. And this leads to the arrests of uh, Speedy and also the arrests of the monster and the genius. The (gasps) only person who got away and to this day is still unknown is the King of Keys. Oh my God. So I guess like, the moral of the story is his weakness was his childhood friend who really was not cut out to be a thief, essentially. Yes. Well, that or this. So there are now, there's two theories about what's happened. <gasps> Do you think... So here's Do- theory number oh, one. Oh my God. He, this is what Leonardo says. Okay. So he has been interviewed since he was he went to prison. He's been in, in prison for 10 years. Okay. Um, well, so, he's been... If, how long did he go to prison for? It's, this is like... I guess, I guess he longer. must be out by now. Yeah. I mean, for $100 million... I mean, he has less, but... So he says that he was set up that a uh, diamond dealer set him up and the whole thing was basically a scam. So his, uh, the theory that based on what he says is that a bunch of the uh, actual diamond companies hired him to do this. Without figuring, he didn't know who they were. What they did was they emptied the merchandise out of the bags before the heist took place. And then they said that he took all the materials. after. So... These companies claimed it got a huge insurance yeah. payout after this, a hundred million dollars worth of insurance. Yeah. And in addition to that, they also kept the the goods that were quote unquote stolen. Jesus Christ. The other theory is that this is all a narrative that Leonardo has crafted, and the vast majority of the uh, the diamonds that were never recovered, 
The reason they weren't recovered is because he stashed them in the Swiss Alps in the brief journey that he made back home. Yeah, absolutely. And then I wonder, like, what would they all sit around and count them? Like, who's the one that actually, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. actually looked at them. So nobody knows for sure what actually happened here. But what people do know for sure is that the diamonds were never recovered. That's insane. Yeah. Diamonds were never recovered. But he kind of had like a network of like fences, I'm sure. Yes. That he could sell to. Yeah. Though ironically, most of the fencing he did was actually in the Diamond District in Antwerp. Wow. During his so-called legitimate trading business. Yeah. So the, the the boys didn't get, they're not in prison anymore? Or do you know? Uh, so his crew got uh, each sentenced to five years of prison. That's and, like and barely he, anything. And he himself got sentenced to 10 years of prison. Yeah. I wonder what's bigger for him, like the kind of thrill of it. You know what I mean? Like the puzzle, like solving the puzzle and the power that comes with figuring that shit out yeah. or the actual money or if it's both. I'm sure there was definitely uh, an element of both. Yeah, Because in sure. the original sort of deal, they were going to each get a minimum $20 million. That's huge. That's massive. But then according to him, well, the way it ha- ended up in the end is they each only got about $3 million. I mean, I'm sure they looked at his account. I'm sure he didn't just deposit into the bank. What yeah. a dum-dum. I mean, there's another possibility that when well, no speedy went to jail too right mm-hmm. i was thinking some reason his panic attack was like orchestrated and well he's faking I, I, it. I mean that could all have been an excuse they could have left it on a place where they thought okay maybe this stuff is going to get found um we'll we'll get arrested we'll get short sentences maybe part of it our sentences won't be that long because they're not going to find anything yeah. that we've actually stolen and uh maybe they're th- like, then at the end of this yeah. we all get you know our prize <sighs> that is so crazy okay i'll have to take my questions to the private times after the show. All right. <laughs> that was a really good story. Thank you so much for telling me that. My story is not as intense as yours, but it is a callback. So if you remember in our first episode ever, we talked about angels. Yeah, that's right. What angels really look like. Yes. You taught me some horrifying knowledge. <laughs> and there was something that really captured my imagination, which was the weird alligator angel thing that yeah, measured that. Uh, 900 measures. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we were like, what is that? What is a measurement? Like, yeah. what is that measurement? And I didn't, couldn't tell if he was big or small, but they did say 900 measures. Yeah. It meant nothing to us. No, nothing at all. So I decided to We had to a do, good chuckle about it though. <laughs> Very funny. I mean, imagine he's huge. That's what I kind of ended up believing. Like nobody's 900 somethings and not big. Yeah. Right? Why would you say like 900 centimeters? Yeah. You wouldn't. There'd be a bigger unit. But that kind of like made me think. And I started doing research on units of measurement that are unusual. Mm -hmm. And so my segment today, I'm me teach you about goat greatest of all time units of measurement okay <laughs> all right this is definitely a change of pace from your story because i'm ready for it <laughs> so much there's lower stakes like such low stakes here so um i've broken the, up into three different sections the first is official units of measurement these are recognized okay okay so the first is a smoot a smoot a smoot s-m-o-o-t all right the smoot is a unit of length, and it was created by Oliver R. What? Smoot. <laughs> of course. He was five foot seven, and therefore he declared a smoot is five foot seven. Oh my god! This is <laughs> literally a smoot is yeah. how tall this guy yeah, is. Yeah, and I'm I too am five foot seven. So oh my god! I'm so you are one, one smoot. smoot. Yeah, I'm exactly one smoot. So he was actually Mr. Smoot was a man of great achievement. 
Um, I suppose. As an adult, he was a chairman of the American National Standards Institute and also the president of the International Organization for Standardization. So this was something that he did in university. He was at MIT and he was a young pledge and they thought it would be funny. The guys in his dorm, what do they call it? His Fraternity. Fraternity. They thought it'd be funny if they took the shortest person with the most scientific sounding name and measured the Harvard Bridge with his body and nothing else. <laughs> okay. okay. So he would get up, lay down. They do a chalk mark, get up, lay down. And they did it so many times that he got started getting really tired. Right. And so they started carrying him. Like, <laughs> like originally I thought it was like a hazing thing, but he seemed very happy to do this. Yeah. Okay. He's a human yardstick. He was a human yardstick. And after they did this, they completed it. They discovered the Harvard Bridge um, just outside of MIT was 364.4 smoots. Wow. So that's how many times he had to do that. Wow. That's a lot. Insane. And actually, if you go there today, there are still markers there. Oh, and it's, it's the very, smoot markers? Yeah, there's smoot markers. I think at one point they got um, taken down and all the students like were so upset because it's a, it's a kind of like a, a story. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, a, it's on campus. Local it's like lore. a legend. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you look it up, um, Harvard Bridge smoot, you'll see the units and it's very cute. There's like the halfway mark. I think they do it every 10 smoots, but then they also have 69 smoots just because. <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, so that's a smoot. Okay. The second is a wiffle. Ooh. All right. A wiffle, also called a wham, and that stands for wiffle ball, like quiet ball, because it's just W, assisted measurements. So you know what wiffle ball is, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so like if you're playing, actually we had a wiffle ball when I was a kid. It's basically like baseball for people who don't want to break things, mm -hmm. right? It's like a very light plastic bat and a little tiny um, plastic ball with holes in it. But did you know marine biologists actually use it as a size reference for when they're measuring things underwater? I had no idea. Because it's about 3.5 inch sphere. It's um, very, very easy to put deep in the water. It won't be crushed by the pressure. It's uh, Since it's like a sphere, it's really easy. It's omnidirectional. Mm. You can like move it around and stuff like that. They use it to measure things like coral and other things underwater. Wow. So it's actually extremely useful and it's used quite often. The next is a shake. So shake is a measure of time used mm. in nuclear physics, and it's equal to about 10 nanoseconds. Okay. Which is the approximate time for generation within a nuclear train reaction, which means nothing to me. Does it mean anything to you? Uh, well, I mean, so I'm a programmer uh, as uh, by trade. Do you program nuclear bombs? <laughs> no, but we do use nanoseconds sometimes oh, interesting. in programming. Yeah. Um, a small, small measurement, yeah. uh, measurements of time. Have you ever heard shake before? I've never used a heard of a shake, no. Okay, so the name comes from the sayings, uh, two shakes of a lamb's tail. Yeah, I've, I've heard that expression before. <laughs> That's so cute. I didn't know that came from that. Yeah, I mean, super quick, two <laughs> shakes of a lamb's tail. Very, very cute. The next is called a beard second. The beard second is a unit of length. It's kind of like the opposite of a light year. It measures incredibly small lengths. A beard second is essentially the length of an average beard, how far it grows in one second, <laughs> which is 10 nanometers. Wow. That's something. A donkey power is the last official measurement I have. It's a unit of energy that's 250 watts, which is about a third of horsepower. Donkey power. <laughs> Can you imagine? I like there's horsepower yeah. and then there's also donkey power. I like the idea that, <laughs> I mean, this is probably like kind of a half joke, Yeah. but it is like an official unit of measurement. Sure. So I love the idea, like some fancy ass sports cars, like this many donkey powers. <laughs> I really like that. All right. So now we're going to move into 
unofficial units of measurement. All right. I bet things get fun here. Yeah. So these are kind of like pop culture You know what I mean? These, these are kind of like in the world. People use them, but right. they're not actually scientific in any way. So a New York second, it's referred to as the shortest unit of time in the multiverse. <laughs> All right. All right. And it is defined by the period of time it takes between when the traffic light turns green and the cab behind you starts honking. <laughs> it's just like instantaneous. Yeah. The next one is the Hawking Index, which I really like this one. It's a percentile unit that measures how many people read a book from cover to cover. <laughs> and it's called the Stephen, um, it's named after Stephen Hawking because of his book, A Brief History of Time. It only scores 6.6% on this scale. <laughs> so which, most people who crack <laughs> that book never finish it. Yeah, like a very, very small amount, which I totally understand. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of really like excited college kids who are like, I'm going to read this and it's going to be great. And yeah. they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't think so. A canard, it's French. Okay. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think canard, canard, I'm trying to like put myself in the mind of a French person. I'm still um, like anxiously looking at all my books in the room right now being like, did I finish that one? Yeah. Have I started it and not finished it? <laughs> You're part of the problem. <laughs> so a carnard is a unit of quackery. Oh, that measures the amount of weird buzzwords used to describe pseudoscience. <laughs> and the name comes from the old French term canner, which means to quack. Um, a lot of these words are some examples. Uh, energy, holistic, vibrations, magnetic healing, quantum. And a lot of these words are borrowed from physics and used to claim health benefits. Yeah. I really like that one a lot. Um, but I think my favorite unofficial measurement term is the Helen. Mm. So you may have heard the uh, Helen of Troy from the Iliad was one of the most beautiful women in existence. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> it's on your cheat board. <laughs> what is that when the one person you might cheat with? Yeah. Helen of Troy was so beautiful that she was the face that launched 1000 ships. So therefore one Mila Helen to launch one <laughs> ship. <laughs> to launch one ship. Yes. All right. And there is also negative Helens, Ooh. which is the power to beach ships. <laughs> I feel like I can relate to on a deep personal level. <laughs> and now we're going to look at obsolete units of measurement. Okay, so defunct. A of, yeah, and there's a bit of a theme, and the theme is things that made me laugh. Okay. So I think you'd enjoy these. All right. Okay, so I got a couple. A rod is a surveyor's tool, usually between three to eight meters, a rod. Okay. A large sack, a UK unit of weight for coal, that was 224 pounds. I'm sensing a theme. So you got rods, you got large sacks, a pood. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's P-O-O-D. It is a unit of mass equal to 40 funt, which is a Russian pound. Okay. Approximately... About 16 kilograms or 36 pounds. The plural of, by the way, of pood is pooty or putty. I feel like I'm not pronouncing that right, but I, I need it to be pronounced pood. Yeah, I, I believe it's pood. I, I believe. For some reason, I thought shipload was funny last night. When I was, <laughs> when I was, reaching, when I was researching this, I was like, yeah. I think shipload. just because of the load, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. But a shipload is also a unit of weight. Um, most of these are from the UK, by the right. way, uh, for coal equaling about how much they can fit on a ship. It's almost a million pounds. Oh, wow. It's yeah. A lot. So d oh, how much a they can load. fit on a yeah, ship? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
That's um, kind of like a shitload. Oh, oh my God. Maybe that's why I laughed. I was like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> I had like a sensible chuckle. A butt, B-U-T-T, spelled just like the real one, is a UK measurement of liquid volume between 450... <laughs> I didn't even think of that when I wrote this down. Liquid volume? Wow. Between 450 and 1,000 liters, depending on the drink it was measuring, or should I say the fluid. <laughs> it's usually like alcohol, right? right? It's like a wine, a butt of a wine i'm not sure how you even use that in a sentence a butt of wine is i ordered a butt of wine yeah i don't think you'd order it because it's between 450 liters upwards oh you can order it <laughs> you can order it but you have to drink at the table yeah an ale would be a different measurement and right. so i'm not sure if it's to do with the value but i like that it says liquid volume something about that really tickles me and the last one isn't with the same theme but i still thought it was very interesting hobbit Oh. is actually a unit of measurement used in Wales for grain and it's equal to about two and a half bushels. Oh. And I looked up what's a bushel but I realized it's a bushel. Why Why is it called a hobbit? I don't know. That's just the name for it. Oh. And I think maybe that's where the word hobbit came from. Is that possible? They're like these little farming people. How old is it from? It's quite old. Oh, wow. It in, it's a Welsh word. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It says here that at least in 1888, grains were sold by the Hobbit. Oh. So there's a very good chance that this was something that came into old J.R.R.R. Tolkien's line of sight. How many R's are there? Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was really cute. All right. So, you know, that was a little less intense in your story, but... I hope no, you I liked it. I learned a lot about units of measurement. What was your favorite out of all of them? I think I liked... The Smoot. Yeah, that's a good one. That man really left a legacy. He did. He I, measured I a bridge. I actually don't know if he's alive or dead. Yeah. It can't be that old. I, I, You know what? I like The Hobbit. It's got me thinking about Lord of the Rings now. And I want to watch that movie again. You know, Mr. Smoot's Wikipedia doesn't say anything about him being dead. Hmm. It says here he lives in San Diego. There you go. He's alive and well. So we could still measure Smoots to this day. Well, and you know what? Mr. Smoot, when you're too tired to be measured in Smoots, I will take up that flame. All right. You and I are the same height. <gasps> maybe he's actually shrunk a little bit because he's older. Could be. So maybe I need to take up this. We may need to calibrate the Smoots. They might need to pull him back out to the bridge and re-measure <laughs> it. <laughs> I feel like that'd be against his will. Huh? He'd be like, get away from me, you disgusting children. <laughs> get away from me. All right. Well, that's the episode. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you learned a lot today. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Me Teach You. Our show is new and you may not know this, but the first few weeks are the most important when it comes to getting the word out there. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Leave a review and tell a friend if you think they might like it too. You can connect with us at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you search Me Teach You. That's all one word with the letter U as in university. And of course, if you have any interesting topics that you think we should cover, email us at smart at meteachyou.com.